going through selected psalms. We are getting towards the end of the book of Psalms, and tonight we find ourselves reading from Psalm 137. So if you haven't already done so, please turn in your Bibles to that psalm with me. The psalm will also appear on the screen behind me. Let's uh, read the Word of God, and then I'll pray after we've read. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem. And how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. If you would please pray with me. Lord, as we come to this psalm tonight, we ask that you would be our teacher. We ask that your spirit would enlighten our hearts to your truth. And we ask that especially, Lord, as we read in this psalm some difficult words. Lord, teach us what you would have us know about you and what we should know about ourselves, what you would require of us. And Lord, as always, we ask that by your word we would stand as people changed. We have encountered your word we have heard it, we've been taught by it, and our prayer is that, it, that it would affect every part of our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Songs of uh, any era of time are often written reflecting the history of that day. And in this particular psalm of the Bible, we find that it's really not so different from the songs of the world, at least in that regard. All songs often reflect the history of the day in which they were written and the history that surrounds the writing of this particular psalm, Psalm 137, is a sad day in the history of the Jewish people. Biblical history goes back to primeval times, the times of creation of mankind, the times that include the recreation after the great flood. But that said, the biblical history soon after the beginning narrows in to reflect the history of one particular family called by God to be his people. Abraham is the forefather of all Israel, called by God to go to the place God would show him, to the land of Canaan. And then through a series of events, a few generations after Abraham's call, his progeny and their families eventually would end up in Egypt and then in bondage in Egypt, in slavery for 400 years as we know. Next comes the Exodus, the time when the Israelites are now immense in number and have 
left that foreign land and left their bondage behind in order to return to possess the land first promised to Abraham by God. They conquer the then occupiers of the land. They make the land their home. They grow in power. And then many generations removed from Abraham, another offspring of Abraham, David, becomes their king. Their king under whom the family of Abraham blossoms into a true national people of Israel and becomes a kingdom of great power. A kingdom with a, a great capital city, Jerusalem, located at Mount Zion. The kingdom continues to grow under David and under David's son Solomon and the prosperity and the stature of Jerusalem grow as well. Houses and buildings are erected and a great palace. And then under Solomon, the centerpiece of society and the worship was built. Solomon's temple, a stupendous structure built to house the glory of God. But by the time of the writing of the 137th Psalm, that would all seem so long ago. The once united and powerful Davidic kingdom had divided into north and south. And eventually after a series of ungodly kings in the north, the northern kingdom was routed and taken away in exile by the Assyrians. And then a similar fate followed in the southern kingdom and even that glorious city of Jerusalem was also subject to invasion and defeat. Jerusalem was routed, not by Assyrians this time, but by new invaders, Babylonians. And in B.C. 587, after a great siege of Jerusalem, the last king of Judah, Zedekiah, fled Jerusalem as that city collapsed and was laid in ruins. Its temple was destroyed and all its wealth was taken away. In chapter 25 of 2 Kings, one reads that King Zedekiah and his sons were captured. And his sons were killed before Zedekiah's eyes. That was the last sight Zedekiah would see before the Babylonians would put out his eyes. He was bound, he was taken away in bronze shackles to the land of his captors, to Babylon. He along with all of his countrymen all taken away and all to remain in exile, removed from the promised land and the past days of David and Solomon's glory for some 70 years. It seems to be that sometime during that 70-year period of exile that this psalm was written, or at least it was written about those days. And the psalm finds the defeated Israelites now in Babylon, sitting down by the waters of Babylon and weeping as they remember the past glory of Zion. The waters of Zion might normally draw to mind a prosperous land. The fertile crescent of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers was in Babylon, and in Babylon there were canals built for irrigation from those rivers so that there were always regular harvests and plenty to sustain even an exiled people. But the hearts of a remnant of the people remained committed to Zion and to Jerusalem. They could not see Babylon as their permanent home. And while in Babylon, as the psalm makes clear, the captors of the Israelites would add insult to the injur injurious nature of the captive state of the exiles, as the captors, the Babylonians, would cruelly demand that the exiled Israelites sing to them one of the songs of Zion. Many of the Old Testament psalms might be classified as songs of Zion, songs which proclaim the glory of Jerusalem. 
It wasn't so long ago we ourselves were reading one such song and reflecting upon it, Psalm 122. The lyrics of that psalm are, are really beautiful. I was glad they, when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within our gates, O Jerusalem, within your gates. Jerusalem built as a city that is firmly together, bound firmly together. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May it be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, security within your towers. But how could a people so in love with this great city of Jerusalem sing of such glory and security and peace while the buildings of their city lie in ruins when the temple of God itself had been destroyed and all the wealth of the city was absconded? The request for a song is really a taunt by the captors aimed to humiliate a people. And those being humiliated could only hang their harps or their lyres upon the willow and ask of themselves, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? As captives in that foreign land, the option would exist for one captive to join the captors. Maybe not join as if to have a full equality, but join by submitting to the captors' ways to follow the captors' gods. But the faithful among Israel were resolute. They will not succumb. They will remember Jerusalem. And the psalm reveals they make a pledge that they will never forget. The musician would rather forget his ability to strum his lyre with his right hand. The singer would prefer his tongue to lose its ability to sing. Even in an unjoyful situation like this exile, the pledge is to set Jerusalem as the highest joy for those people who remain faithful to God. And really, this is a matter of faith in God. In those ancient days, the love of God was not easily divided in the people's hearts from the love of God's holy city. Jerusalem was to be a place of the temple where the Lord would meet with his people. Jerusalem was the city which stood as a symbol of God's covenantal faithfulness to his people. And so even through these laments of a remnant of exiles, there remains this promise of a continued faithfulness to a city, which really suggests a promise of faithfulness to God. The final part of the psalm, ending, the ending of the psalm, then is a, a prayer by this remnant of God's people asking for God's wrath against his enemies, the enemies of the people as well. But this prayer for God's curse upon the enemy is not first directed towards the Babylonians, but toward the Edomites. The righteous remnant of Israel in exile are praying for God's judgment against Edomites who are really a people of the same bloodline as themselves, a people who trace their own lineage back to Israel's brother Esau. You see, the, the Edomites did what they could to see the Israelites defeated. They cheered for the success of Babylon over Jerusalem. As we see in the psalm, they ask of the Babylonians to lay Jerusalem down, bare down to its foundations. But of course, the prayer does not exclude the Babylonians either. And so confident is the exiled remnant that Babylon too will be destroyed that they speak in their prayer of a Babylon that is already doomed. And the singers of the psalm will praise the Lord who will make it so. Blessed shall he be who repays Babylon. 
the prayer of these faithful Israelites for the judgment of Babylon probably sounds particularly gruesome to people like ourselves. To ask that the daughter of Babylon be repaid with equal atrocities they committed against Israel involves images of what happened to Israel when they were invaded. I remind you again of what the Babylonians did to King Zedekiah. But the prayer for destruction even gets more graphic in its gruesomeness as they pray and ask the Lord to take even the little ones of Babylon, even the infants, and dash them against the rock. Know that this type of prayer for judgment on a wicked people is a request in prayer that is not uncommon in the Psalms. The prayer is that God's wrath fall upon the enemies of God and and, and the enemies of his people. But this type of prayer, in a way, is really asking for God's own vindication. The prayer is, in essence, that God would avenge the blood that has been shed from the veins of God's true servants. That God would hear the trusting pleas of a people in exile and perhaps in his judgment of wicked nations. Then place his people back in his holy city once again. Restore them. As gruesome as it might sound to us, this really isn't a prayer for outright vengeance. But again, it's for God's vindication. Vindication in light of the dishonor done to God's name by the destruction of his city. Judgment is requested in order that this dishonor to God would be reversed. Now really, all that I've done so far tonight in looking at this psalm is to place the psalm in the context of its history. But allow me now to move us forward in time from the original writing of the psalm and in doing that to first say to us all here that when we come across a psalm like this, excuse me, a psalm which prays for destruction of the enemies of God's people, we should always understand that the completion of the vindication of God will truly come to pass with the return of Jesus Christ. It comes when the world is judged and all the enemies of God are silenced. And all God's people truly are praising God forever now as his faithful people. You see, the full and final and just treatment of God and his people will only come to its fullness at a time when all the temporal judgments of God are enveloped into God's final judgment. And in saying that, I remind us, as I often have cautioned us when reading a psalm like this, a psalm which includes words which requested judgment upon others, that we should still be a little bit careful with our own prayers of this sort. We should use caution because we really don't know whom among the nations will repent of sin and turn to God through Christ. We are unable to clearly know upon whom God's judgment will finally rest. So our prayers of this sort should never be rash. But that said, we should always, always be praying for the full glory of God to be given to his name which will include that his judgment would fall upon those who don't turn to him and who will then in turn face their eternal doom. As I just said previously, the completion of this vindication of God through his judgment only comes with the return of Christ. So fast forward forward with me in time even a little further to a time future to ourselves and to a time of the final judgment ordained by God as it is meted out against the wicked, the time when the daughter of Babylon's doom will actually be carried out. 
the judgment on the daughter. What I'm asking for us to do is to consider this psalm in light of the further revelation of the book of Revelation. In the final book of the Bible, there are several references made to the fall of Babylon. The fall is prophesied in four different chapters. In the first chapter in which Babylon is mentioned, chapter 14, one reads of a particular angel who flies overhead and who says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The next reference to Babylon is in chapter 16, verse 19, from which we read tonight, where one reads, God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. In chapter 17, there's another reference to Babylon and to judgment. And then in chapter 18, the treatment of Babylon is most extensive and most detailed. And it again is a description of Babylon's fall, which is also the judgment of God. Now, the treatment of Babylon in Revelation, even Though it is repeated, I suggest to you is symbolic of a single and final judgment upon a symbolic city rather than several judgments of God upon an actual one. The symbolic city of Babylon is really any kingdom that disregards true God and sets up itself as a great city without God. Let me read to you just one more part of the words of judgment against this symbolic Babylon as the words are found in Revelation 18, 2 and 3. There we read, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations, all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. A dwelling place for demons, a haunt for everything unclean, the unclean spirit, the unclean bird, the unclean beast. The satanic nature of a symbolic Babylon is being revealed in Revelation, and her true colors are being shown for what they are, the spiritual Babylon. The Babylon of Revelation has essentially masked her true nature behind the images of her objects for adornment. But when all is stripped away, when she is desolate and naked, her true nature is, is then seen. And that nature is one of everything being unclean. It might also help us to know that in Revelation, Babylon is not only described as a place, but as a woman, a prostitute. And when in the scriptures we see examples of harlotry and prostitution that is often used, not in a manner to just draw attention to the sin of sexual immoral conduct, it's used symbolically to depict man and woman's unfaithfulness to their God. In short, what I propose to you is that the judgment that comes, the final judgment that comes to this spiritual city of Babylon, this prostitute, comes because of the immorality which is symbolically in view in Revelation, which is at its root an unfaithfulness to God, a setting up of idols, the worship of idols, when the true worship should really be always directed to God. And I would suggest again that we should read Revelation, seeing that Babylon is not restricted necessarily to a single place, 
But any place that has set itself up against the true God, any place and any people in any time set against the true God who is worthy of our worship. But you know what the problem is for the Christian of today? The problem for us is that in many ways, we are like an exiled people living in the midst of Babylon. Oh, we're among brothers and sisters in Christ, I know that. But we remain in a fallen world. We remain in a Babylon, a world quick to reject faith in Christ and to reject anything close to a godly walk in life. We live as exiles in this world, and if the world around us starts asking us for a song of our heavenly city, it would be just like the taunt of Psalm 137, a taunt that it has, at its heart is asking us, where is your God now? But here is also where we as Christians can learn from Psalm 137. We can, in fact, lament the fallenness of our exiled home. We can rue the taunts of the enemies as we seek to live faithfully to God as if in exile while in the world. But we should do so also with our hearts still pledged to the true Jerusalem, which is the heavenly city of God above. We can place the heavenly city, the home of our God, as the highest joy, even as we live in this place now. And we can and we should pray that our God would be vindicated. We needn't single out a particular nation or a particular people. We shouldn't be rash with our prayers, as I said before. But we can always pray that all of God's enemies would in the end be destroyed and that his name would be honored as it ought to be honored. And we can add to all of that that may our Lord come quickly so that the wrongness of this world would be made right and an unfaithful and unclean world would fade away to its destruction as a new world becomes what this world should always have been. We who are Christians are worldly exiles and we long for the honor of God to be restored in this place. And until that happens, may we always remain a faithful remnant who loves our God and his holy city far, far more than our exiled home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be imprinted on our hearts and minds. We pray, Lord, that it would affect the way we live in the world. We ask, Lord, that we would live faithfully to you as we live as exiles in this world. We pray, Lord, that your name would be honored and vindicated even when that happens through the judgment of the wicked. So, Lord, we pray to you tonight asking that you would come quickly, that you would send your son quickly so that this world would be made right as the new heavens and the new earth, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, descends to this place. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.